podcast where two friends discuss, and drink to, their favorite cozy mysteries. I'm Carolyn Wilkie. And I'm Sabrina Malshausen. So, Sabrina. Yes. I might be dating a person now? Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. Are you dating him or are you just talking to him? No, no. We've been like on real dates. Like for real fucking dates. No, 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 no. How many dates? Three. That's still talking. Okay. Well, I'm not up. I don't work with teenagers, so I don't know the correct terminology. We're definitely not hanging out. Like, we're going, like, doing adult things. I think he also might just be, like, he's very nice. I think he might be a serial killer. I don't think so. I mean, granted, I don't think so. (laughs) But, like, also, he's very nice. I'm just kind of trained to expect, <laughs> you know, stabby death at the end of niceness. We do watch a lot of murder mysteries, so that could we possibly do be why. A lot of murder mysteries. But you know, he's just—he's a lowercase nice guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's honestly very nice. Like doesn't um, like compliments me a lot. Like actually, like a couple weeks, like when right after our first date, I had to like be like you need to stop complimenting me so much i feel like i can't actually talk to you because you're complimenting me too much but he did stop complimenting me so or like not in entirely but like you know to a unreasonable extent he brought it down a notch like instead of like definitely every 10 minutes it might have been every like 40 yeah basically I think it just brings it back to like, wow, Carolyn, you're extremely Midwestern that you are uncomfortable with people thinking you're great. <laughs> I will. I I literally have no idea what that's like. I haven't <laughs> been on a date since 2016, and I don't even think that's a date. I think it was a prolonged one night stand. So, uh, <laughs> Do you have any good dating stories? One. I have one. Um, when I was living in England, I signed up to be a BBC audience member. You got free tickets. You just had to sign up, and you were put in, like, lotteries and things like that. But you were also put on the BBC's, like, just general, like, looking for contestants for, like, game shows and stuff. And they sent me an email, and they were like, we're looking for people who are looking for love. Oh, gosh. Hashtag me. And so... <laughs> Um, they invited us, I, I, apparently, I wrote an application, and I got on the list, and, and there were hundreds of people there, hundreds, and I met up with these girls, and we all started talking, and, and stuff like that, we traded stories about terrible dates we'd been on, and stuff like that, and they served us absolutely awful kava. And only like one glass because there were so many people that they ran out of kava. So I was in this, well, we were in this enormous auditorium and there were hundreds of people. And apparently when you fill out the application, they matched you with someone and they were going to do all the like calling out your names and then you would walk down the aisle holding hands. But there were so many people there that they were running. This went on for like hours, for like three hours, right? And they called my and then they called my name. 
like the the women were sat on one side and the men were sat on the other. And they called my name, and I'm sat pretty far in the back, so I have to like walk up the side like it's church. And then we walk up to the front of the stage, and I get matched with this really short Asian guy with a cleft palate, and um. He was super nice, but we, we, nothing ever happened. Like, we, we right. texted for a while. Nothing ever came of it. But, like, I had a lot of weird, like, dates like that in England. Like, there was, um, there was George from Scotland who was really, really amazing in bed. But, like, like, he brought me flowers. Like, we, it, it was like our second or third time meeting up and he brought me flowers and my landlady went wild and then I posted it on Facebook and uh, my mother's best friend was like does George have a sister I mean a brother <laughs> does George have a brother and I was like you are married <laughs> and so like when I'm in England I find it really easy to get dates when I'm in America I'm a sweaty lump I'm literally sweaty, but I'm like a sweaty lump and everyone ignores me. Like, I can't get a date for love or money. But, like, in England, I'm like, I'm like filet mignon. At least we have wine. Oh, and the French dudes, when you visited. Yeah, that was a good time. That was a very good time. That was a really good time. Yours was hot. (sighs) (laughs) Memories. Memories. Oh, yeah. Well, Sabrina, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, on the same thing of Cava, I'm drinking a Prosecco. And a mm-hmm. 2017 Alini Prosecco Treviso. It is actually from Italy. Um, Vino Frizzante, which is a frizz, like a fizzy wine. And um, it is prodotto in Italia. So it is an actual Italian Prosecco. Got it at Lidl for, I think, eight. No, yes, Lidl for $8. Nice. Very nice. I am drinking uh, Sunday Pinot Noir and Sunday like the ice cream treat. This is a, another bottle I got on Super Sale. So originally marked $17, got it for um, 13 after tax. And it's a 2014 Pinot Noir. And I just had occasion to look this up. So I opened it and there were little crystals all over the cork. And so I was like, is this okay? Because... I remember last time I got an on-sale wine and it was not very good. Oh, no. But I Googled it and uh, most people think these clear crystals floating in the wine or stuck to the cork are salt, sugar, sediment, or even broken glass. In fact, they are a harmless byproducts of wine and some equate their presence as a mark of quality in that the wine has not been overly manipulated by the seller. That's true because so these wines that you get nowadays that are like uh that taste like blueberry or strawberry supreme or something like that they've been they've been taste manipulated so they might say they're a zinfandel but they're like a zinfandel that is like bottom of the barrel zinfandel that they've added all sorts of flavorings and coloring to to get a right. taste so yes so things like things like sediment Things like these crystals, things like um, a one origin wine, like a one, like a one vineyard wine, all marks that it's just wine for like it's grapes fermented, bottled, and not done anything else. And that's why you don't really know if you if you only drink 
very low quality wine, and I'm talking like barefoot and stuff like that. And I mean, everyone likes it cheap and cheerful, especially if it's not like to impress a guest or like mm-hmm. for your wedding or something. Everyone likes it cheap and cheerful. There's no judgment, but if you only know cheap and cheerfuls, real wine is very much more subtle. Mm-hmm. So the flavor is going to be unusual to you, and you might not like it. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get right into it? Ah, uh, yeah. And before we begin, tonight's episode does deal with suicide. And if you are feeling depressed or have thoughts of suicide, please check out the International Association of Suicide Prevention at IASP.info. They have tons of help and uh, for all over the world. And remember that we care. We do care uh, very much. Tonight, we are watching Psych, Season 1, Episode 5, Nine Lives. One that actually fucking matches, and also the last fucking episode in <laughs> The Gods. Second clink noise. Ching <laughs> <laughs> ching. Uh, we open, as we so often do on this show, with a flashback. And Sean and his dad are eating cereal outside. I guess they couldn't afford the house set this time. Can I just not? And uh, uh, Sean is... Fizzy wine. Gets to the end of his cereal box. Uh, he was like, they ripped me off. My ring is missing. My mood ring is missing. And he's like, dad, this is a crime. You should look into it. And his dad, very cynically walks him through how you report a crime and is like, you could call the 411 number, report the crime. It will eventually get, after being on hold for 20 minutes, passed to a secretary who will then throw your report in the trash. (laughs) Or you could do what I taught you to do and figure it out yourself. And while I didn't particularly appreciate the cynical bit, it does actually give him a good lesson in flexible thinking. Yes. Sometimes you just have to turn the box upside down to get what you want first. Exactly. And we flash to present day. Gus and Sean are eating some Chinese food as they walk down the street talking about the business. And Gus is burnt out. Not surprising because he has an actual job on top of this one. And Sean's like, yeah, totally. We can take no cases. Sure, totes. Uh, But then also, oh, look, around the corner, here's a crime scene. (laughs) And Gus is obviously dismayed. Yes. Um, And Sean and McNabb uh, exchange pleasantries and an awkward handshake. Um, And Gus is like, his first name is Buzz? Why would I, he's like, you didn't know that? And I really liked this. He was like, why would I ever talk to a person named Buzz? <laughs> Point. <laughs> why would you? <laughs> I thought this was a pretty good Gus episode overall. You know what? I was... This was not the worst episode we've watched. So... No. It was... No, it although, really, really wasn't. Although there were points where I was severely disappointed. Like, severe. Okay. But it wasn't the worst episode we had ever seen. Certainly not the worst episode. Uh, but I thought also, finally, I got a good Gus episode, very little dad, 
And I actually quite liked Sean in this episode, too. Yeah, Sean wasn't terrible. I thought he was pretty charming. Yeah. Um, especially, like, he, you know, does his usual, like, kind of cold read stuff in that, like, he scams his way into the actual crime scene um, by telling McNabb that he's got Lasseter's coffee and thereby learns how Lasseter actually takes his coffee. Which, disgusting. So gross. How do you take your coffee? I drink black coffee. I take mine in the bin. <laughs> but my tea, uh, milk and one sugar. See, I don't, I don't like sugar in anything. Really. <laughs> well, I think it's just, that's how I was raised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while I'll put cream in my coffee, but that's usually just at, like, places that I get coffee, because when you get served coffee at a restaurant, it is always very hot. And that's on purpose, because they have to keep it hot for a very long time, but the only way to, you know, cool it down is with milk or cream. This past week, but, I had the second worst cup of tea in my life. So oh no. I was running late for work, and so I didn't have time to make my tea in the morning. I don't need the tea for the caffeine, because I drink one cup of tea a day, and that's in the morning. And I really just need it for the, like, the ritual and the warmth. Like, I'm fine any other way. Like, because, you know, tea doesn't have near as much caffeine as coffee. That actually depends on the tea. Oh, yeah. And I drink straight black tea, so it's probably got quite a bit of Mm-hmm. But, um, so, at, during my planning, which is about 9.30 in the morning, I'm like, oh my god, I'm desperate for a cup of tea. So, first, I don't have a cup, which is murder, because I usually have a mug. My Fortnum's mug has vanished. Aww. Yeah, one, I have 6,000 Fortnum mugs, so I'm not too fussed. But one of my <laughs> Fortnum mugs has vanished. So I find a little 8-ounce styrofoam cup. And then I'm like, there has to be tea somewhere. I find decaffeinated English breakfast by Twinings in Keurig, which means it's like powder. It's like a powder that they do after like multiple filterings. And so it's, of course, I know it's going to be gross, but I just need the, the warmth. So I have one sugar, but now I need milk. I'm looking in like every refrigerator in the school, nowhere milk, but everything has coffee creamer. And it's all flavored coffee creamer. Oh, so I'm no. like, so I put a tiny drop of hazelnut coffee creamer in my tea, and it is literally, it's the second worst cup of tea in my life. <laughs> but it was really bad. The first, the my worst cup of tea. Now, not counting all the train teas I've had in my life because they're not bad because they're British, so they're mm. not they're not terrible. But the worst cup of tea I've ever had in my entire life was in New York City. My first morning in New York City, we had had a late flight um, from London. And we had a late flight, uh, and so we slept, and the next morning we were like, okay, let's go find an authentic breakfast place. It was me and my mate. Um, mm-hmm. And she and I were walking around Broadway. Our hotel was on Broadway. And so we were walking around, and we find this super authentic bagel joint. The only other customers in there were construction workers working on the sites around the bagel place. So we uh-huh. were like, okay, super authentic. The guy behind the counter had this thick New York accent. His son was working with him. His son was this kind of bulky, like, kind of construction worker guy himself almost, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And the bagels were the size of your head. They were delicious. Yes. They were delicious. 
She has a bagel. She has coffee. So she gets treated fine. I, in my Britishness, is like, could I get a cup of tea? And they look at each other and they're like, hmm, wait a minute. (laughs) And the sun (laughs) vanishes into like the basement. And it comes up with this bag of Lipton that looks about 10 years old. before it was cool i know probably (laughs) but no it tasted like and i asked for milk and i had my sugar and it tasted like water and milk (laughs) it was it was the color of tea but it was literally the worst cup of tea i told my mother about it that night and she goes what were you expecting Well, they walk into the crime scene and uh, Lassiter is clearly in a mood as he usually is. Um, And he and Juliet are discussing the crime scene. Apparently, there have been several suicides in the area lately. And this one has clearly been here for about three days or more, was called in by somebody at the phone company. And... uh, Sean and Gus are doing their best to, A, stay out of Lassiter's way so that he doesn't see them, but also kind of, like, follow around some of the crime scene investigation guys. And we get the, quite possibly one of the, like, most iconic scenes in Psych is in this episode. And it's where Sean goes, act natural, and they both get, like, this pose. Oh, yeah. exact same pose. That one, I was like, yeah, yeah. That's about right. Because when I someone tells you, yeah, when someone tells you to act natural, you instantly don't act natural, like mm-hmm. at all. Apparently, one of the hardest things it's po- ever to do as an actor is be drunk. Oh yeah, because you tend to either wildly overshoot or wildly undershoot <laughs> what the director is looking for. And I feel like it's the same thing. Is like telling an actor to act drunk is like telling a normal person to act normal. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Just act natural. Just act natural. Um, but they do find, follow uh, one of the crime scene... I don't know what you call them. Peoples? CSIs? They, I guess. More like just evidence gathery person. Yeah, they're still in the CSI people. Okay, cool. Uh, they follow the CSI into the kitchen, and as Sean grabs red pepper flakes to season his Chinese food... He sees a steak marinating in the kit in the fridge. And he's like, oh, Gus, this was murder. So this is one of the first things. When a person contemplates suicide, you might they might go about their day in a normal fashion, even marinating a steak. They're not thinking, I'm gonna eat the steak later, I should, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking this pain is so bad, I have to stop it somehow. And so, like, that was that a lot of times, like, him reading people's signs of committing, like, committing or not committing suicide were a little off. Like, because I, that's just not how a suicidal brain works. 
Yeah, I did think he did also pick up that the door was unlocked, which that's true. Been yeah, a clue, which was an absolute clue. That's an absolute clue. Letting someone in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then not locking the door behind them. Yeah. Also weird. Yes. Um, I did think. I mean, there is. It is. There is some truth to some of the other statistics he quoted, though. Like, uh, like in another scene, he talks about how. Uh, climate really does affect suicide rates. That is very true. Uh, Finland has a high suicide rate, but they also have so a high... Seattle has, like, one of the highest suicide rates in the but US. But Finland mitigates that by having a high... A people who are on antidepressants. So yeah. they actually help their people because they realize it's a thing. We don't help our people because... I know. This is, like, its own little, like... I. This was like a freaking metaphor for the United States healthcare system. <laughs> it really, really was. Yeah, Iceland has a very low suicide rate, but that's because they have a high social cohesion rate. And that's, mm-hmm. Finland's suicide rate should be higher, except the social cohesion rate is also higher. So that means that they have more people to check on you. Like, more mm-hmm. people are going to come and, like, be like, hey... Are you okay, Carol? We've been worried about you. What's up? <laughs> like, yeah. so America has shit healthcare and a low social cohesion rate. And we do that on purpose. We've done that on purpose. We've alienated yeah. people on purpose because of capitalism. And I mean, the Nordic yeah, states have capitalism like, as well. The whole yeah. independent spirit of yes. America thing, which I, I know is tied to how we perceive capitalism as well. But just the idea that America was kind of a a break off and offshoot. You had to be very independent to come over here in the first place. True. Or a Puritan. Also, those people are going to be less likely to admit that they're struggling. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I'm just saying it's built right into the core of America's foundation that we don't ever... I mean, I was talking about it before. I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever. I know you do. And <laughs> I, know you, I know you don't, which is weird because I don't either. But learning about how capitalism depends on that and feeds on that, like, independent self-responsibility, don't rely, you know, self-reliance, mm-hmm. don't rely on anyone. Learning about that has made me more reliant on people has made me more in tune with people's pain and i'm not saying that i've become a more empathetic person because that i'm gonna i'm not gonna go that far but it has made me look at the systems in place Mm -hmm. and so High social cohesion doesn't necessarily mean that you have to look like the person that you care about. High social cohesion just means you are, your society cares more about the people around it because they realize that a society is what makes shit work. And so Mm -hmm. this episode right here is an indictment of the, of all the American systems. First, our self-reliant capitalism our rugged self-determinationism, our classical liberal fascism, and then also our, our fucked up healthcare system. 
<laughs> like our yeah. absolute fucked healthcare system, where instead of going and getting CBT, which is not cock and ball torture, as I've learned, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT or talk therapy or even psychiatry, you go to a stress line with untrained people who. Yes! Yeah, yes. so, so yeah. So, once again, <laughs> we're ending with communism. Recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. But literally, literally, really, we're beginning with communism. As we do, as we <laughs> as do. As we do. I mean, I, I was gonna bring up the 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 stress line when we got there, but like, yep, this entire freaking episode, just like point after point after point, and you're like, oh shit, this was made in 2006, but clearly it is just as good of a metaphor today. And I don't even know if it was intended as a metaphor. Like, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. I gotta say, psych is not intended as a metaphor, but because it's written in the society that it is, it is a metaphor. It's a social practice. Any television mm-hmm. show made in a country like America is going to reflect America, even though it was filmed in Canada. But they're American writers, they're American actors, they're American Okay. Thoughts. Okay, so I was, I and I was going to get into this when we got into, like, our review of the episode, but I just Googled it, because I'm on IMDb when we do this all the time, and this was the first episode I really thought the writing was very tight all around, mm-hmm. and it was not actually written by the same, like, cre- lead writer was not the same guy. So Steve Franks created the show, and... um, writ- was the lead writer on episodes one through four, so same mm-hmm. guy. This episode was lead writer was Andy Berman. So it is possible that there is a little bit more thought being put into everything that's happening here because we do have a slightly different guy. And I do think everything was a little bit tighter. And I thought maybe that was just because it was, they were finally like in the groove, but also it could just be, we have a little bit better writer on the show. And that's always writing. So television shows are always going to depend on the writer, but he's, is the writer American or is he Canadian? I think he's American. So, hang on. As an American male, he's going to be writing yeah, from Chicago. American. He's yeah. from Chicago. He's going to be writing from an American ah! male. Person. He also wrote on Invader Zim. Nice. Which is another, like, kind of weird look at American life, but for mm-hmm. children, sort of. <laughs> so, yeah. I. So, so, my thesis is on discourse analysis and it's how people within a social practice write about other social practices basically and i'm doing critical discourse analysis which means i'm looking at how they're writing and saying you're fucked up and here's why i get to write a marxist theory for my thesis like (laughs) i'm full-on like communist like i love it so because i can't watch television without turning my brain off (laughs) here's the social practice we live in america where we are used to the self you know the self-reliant rugged determinism right Mm -hmm. so the person writing this would have been soaked in this his entire life his brain cells are made of it Mm -hmm. so writing it he's not being critical of it he's just writing what he sees and this is what he sees. Now, when you look at it, you could say, holy shit, untrained stress line workers should not be dealing with suicidal people. 
Holy yeah. shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. The murderer had severe PTSD that went unresolved. Unnoticed. Unnoticed and unresolved. So the American male writer is writing this with his brain soaked in it, but he's just writing what he observed. Were he critical, someone would have pointed that out in the episode. And that's why South Park is not satire. Yeah, I agree. They're writing about what they see, and no one's pointing out that it's bullshit. Satire does that. And that's why 8chan is not satire. That's why your ironic Kekistan memes are not satire. You're just writing what your brain has been soaked in. And your brain has been soaked in white supremacist fascism. And I hope you step on a million Legos and then fall into a pit of lava. <laughs> Lassiter does eventually find them. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And he also has another very good line, which is, what in the name of sweet justice are you two doing here? And Sean, being Sean, uh, fakes his psychic attack and points out that the door was open or and is trying to just really prove that this was murder, not suicide. And he goes, well, there was a witness. It was the cat. I am not a cat person. I am a cat person. I have had four cats in my life. Their names were Tom, Felix, Calico, and Next Door. Next Door was not my cat. He was Next Door's cat. (laughs) So I've had four cats in my life. Cats tend to like me. For reasons I'm not really aware. Possibly because I ignore them because I hate them. So they're like, ooh, she is queen. I mean, they they do like to, they don't like being fussed over most part. But this is a very well-trained Hollywood cat. A Holly cat, as as is. I was like, good cat. Very, and this, very uh, so cat. What, who was that director that said you should never work with cats or children? Because they always steal the scene. And I was like. I don't remember. It was, I have to look it up. But uh, yeah, that's a, you don't work with cats and children. Or with animals and children. Because yeah, I I've something. heard that quote, but yeah. I don't know who said it. So, but Sean adopts the cat and continues to go on a rant about why it's not suicide. Stating, you know, the climate statistics and that sort of thing. And Gus is like, dude, just give it up. It's suicide. The police think it's suicide. It, you know, sometimes people are depressed and that's, a thing that happens. Gus was basically giving my argument. Yeah. I, I did watch this yesterday. I promise. I did watch this yesterday. <laughs> so, so Sean for, gives up. Kind of kind of goes, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. But I just have one question for you then. Why did they find a second body? So they head over to that crime scene where Lassiter is having none of this cat nonsense as they walk up and find um, a woman um, dead in her car of apparent carbon monoxide poisoning. And Sean sees that she picked up the dry cleaning in the back seat and apparently wrote a suicide note on the windshield. 
again, Sean does that whole like, well, if why would she have picked up the dry cleaning if she was, you know, gonna commit suicide? And uh, who what's the chick's name? Jessica. Juliet. 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 Juliet points out that he could she could have picked that up weeks ago. Yes. Or was it last day? I don't know. Somebody points it out. Yes. I'm However, almost done with this wine. <laughs> oh my god! Already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, knock me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they go to test the amount of carbon monoxide in the exhaust. And they turn the car on and it's playing heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. And Sean's like, there's no way she would like heavy metal music. Fuck off! Look at me. I'm 5'5". Five five. I'm a little black woman. And I listen to Shine. I actually got to go to a heavy metal concert in uh, high school with a friend of mine who was really, really into heavy metal. It was a band called Iced Earth. It was a lot of fun. Like, if you knew me, that wouldn't be surprising. But like, if you didn't know, if you just looked at me, if like, you found you, if we found you dead in a car, yeah, you you wouldn't know. But I love Rammstein to a degree that is probably unhealthy. <laughs> I almost went to Colombia to see them when they were still banned from playing in America. I almost went to a fucking, and this was in two thousand four. This was when Colombia was not a a hipster tourist haven. Yeah, no, this was. This was not, not the new Tulum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not the new Tenerife. You know, like yeah. <laughs> so. So you know, do not make assumptions. So a lot of times it was like assumptions, and I think it's because I have struggled with depression and I have struggled with suicidal ideation. Is that if you're a good faker, and this woman was an actress, if you're a good faker, yeah. no one could tell. And so, like, when he was, he made a lot of assumptions, and it bothered me. Like, it was like, you can't make these assumptions. Statistics, yes, but there's also individual cases, and there are these things called suicide clusters. They tend to happen in areas, like if one person commits suicide, another person will think, well, they've committed it, that means that they had no will to live, that means there is really nothing to live for. So they come into this, like, negative thought process. And mm-hmm. they tend to happen in small communities and where they study it is in Greenland because Greenland has been struggling with these suicide clusters like every almost every three years or so they'll have a suicide oh cluster and, in, and it's in youth it's in teenagers so they're, they're studying it and they're like doing these extensive like but it's Denmark's fault once again it's capitalism's fault um, because Greenland <laughs> because Greenland is still is a colony of Denmark. Um, they don't like Denmark kind of neglects its colony. Um, yep. so Greenland doesn't Funnily have a Funnily enough, that came up at Knitting Club last night because we have several <laughs> Icelandic members and one Danish member. Nice. <laughs> they, so, were, uh, they were talking about it, and apparently, maybe this might be an Iceland fact you didn't know, but you might. Uh, I apparently, know Iceland. About Iceland. Hey, hang on, hang on. Okay. Let me try. Let I'm me try. Kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, apparently, Iceland banned beer until like they did. the 1980s. They also they not only banned beer, they banned outside uh, sugar. Um, and that's why everyone in Iceland is obsessed with licorice. They banned they banned like <laughs> salty licorice. Oh yeah, so they banned like uh, non 
like sugar like that could not be made in Iceland, which is almost impossible. Be- uh, sugar comes from two places, cane and beet. Mm-hmm. And so um, sugar beets are almost impossible to grow in Iceland. They grow very well in Germany, where all the sugar in Germany is sugar beet. It's not sugar cane. Um, France, since they had so many colonies, uses sugar, sugar cane. Sugar. Honey. Do, 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 do. Honey, and honey. in America, it mostly comes from right. corn. High fructose corn syrup, which is not sugar. <laughs> it's not sugar sugar, but it is it is the sweetener that we use. It's why I hate American uh, Fanta. Not, not no good. It's high fructose corn syrup, and it's sugar in Germany. I also sh- uh, tend to avoid... I like Fanta. I grew up on it. But it's a Coca-Cola product that's not a Coca-Cola product, because during World War II, Coca-Cola could not... Obviously, they banned American things from going to Axis Palace. Good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Coca-Cola was like, we want to still make money. So they changed the Coke formula and created Fanta. It's a Coca-Cola product that they could sell in Germany because fuck Coke. I like It's Coke Nazi? Yes, it's Coke Nazi. It's literally Coke Nazi. <laughs> I was waiting for a good two minutes to say that joke. <laughs> to keep it buttoned up because I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> is of course driving Gus's car and letting the cat ride shotgun which he says is because he gets car sick and so Gus is like Jesus Christ put a goddamn newspaper under the damn cat if he's gonna puke in my company car that I have to return in like new condition and he passes forward a newspaper and Sean's like hey look at this headline and Literally no one ever would put struggling actress in a headline. Yeah. Like the headline was coming for us. <laughs> it, but it says the headline is struggling actress lands big break in Santa Barbara play. Okay. And uh, so Sean's like, listen, she would never have committed suicide if she just made her big break. And that is, and that's probably true. It's probably, it's more true than the then- doesn't like heavy metal thing. Yeah, or the I'm gonna marinate a steak. Yeah, the play itself is called Dazzle and Stretch, mm. which I am really, you know, the thing that I was most disappointed about in this episode was that they never went to interview anybody who worked in the play. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to see what they would do with Dazzle and Stretch. Yeah. Although, no, he sang a song from Dazzle and Stretch. I know, I know. Sure. He, they tried, but I wanted more. I wanted sequins. Back at the police station, we get a weird little scene where McNabb, who we know is getting married soon from the first episode, and was brought up again in their weird handshake, uh, goes to ask Lassiter for advice about the wedding night. But Lassiter, recently separated from his wife, does not take it well. Yeah, I guess. He's just not a nice person. No, she's um, really not. But uh, Sean and Gus bring the cat to Chief Which, Vic's office. You know, sexual education. Yeah, yeah, I felt really bad for McNabb there. Yeah, it's not like he didn't have the internet, but then also guys only think that porn is porn. Yeah, like, or like, or that women will react 
in real life how they didn't pull him. But like, yeah, that's more what I mean. Like, here's the weird thing: like everyone was expected to get married in the 1950s, so the advice to married couples about sex was actually good advice because they were like, "You're gonna fuck because you're married, and that's what you do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and so if you read like even the reader's digest from the 1950s gave advice to a woman who was you know supposedly virginal and a man who might have been anxious and they said hey you know what your wedding night is going to leave you exhausted you're going to be stressed and if either of you don't perform to expectations don't worry about it it's your first night together as a 1950s so like i know it's bad to assume that everyone should just get married before uh before having sex and if that's your choice that's your choice but also sex advice should not be judgmental the readers i just was like the least judgmental and this was 1956 you know so like giving sexual advice in marriage even the quran gives sex advice for married couples, obviously, but the Quran is like, hey, this is what's gonna happen when you're fucking as a married couple. <laughs> fucking in the name of the Lord. If you're even talking about fucking in the name of the Lord, that's much better than whatever the fuck we're doing now, which is <laughs> not even it, like talking, not, we are sexual beings. It's gonna happen. I, I was watching this documentary and apparently in. Uh, USSR. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. And in Eastern Germany, sex advice was, and pornography, was part of the socialist thing. Birth control was freely available in the USSR Mm -hmm. and East Germany, which I'm not saying that whatever the USSR was doing was good, but every once in a while, they clocked it, you know? Well, I mean, they were doing it for their own selfish reasons and that they wanted these women to be working versus popping out the babies. It was totally different in West Germany, um, where you still had a very religious and uh, mostly Catholic society, you know, that Mm -hmm. banned birth control, but then couldn't support, like, the women who also had to work because this was post-World War II when all the German men practically were dead or injured or had severe PTSD, you know. So yeah. it was it was very interesting to learn that sexual mores in the USSR and East Germany were much more relaxed. My mother, like, as soon as, like, I turned eight and she gave me all the books. <laughs> I mean, I do think, I think there's more resources for parents today than there used to be. Yeah. Because, like, I know my nephew's 10. So he's going to go through puberty soon. And like his mom is already like training herself to try and talk about it. You know what I mean? And like, that's really cute. I am, I am of the belief that you should talk frankly to your children in an age appropriate manner. Yeah. And like they, but they make books now about that kind of stuff. Like, like, like better age appropriate materials about how your body is going to change and things like that too. And so like, I think, I mean, it's it's a problem in that it's not a part of our education system, and, but they, there are definitely... I had to teach a bunch of 10th graders how periods work. Oh, Jesus. In South Carolina, they don't have mandatory sex education. It's a county-by-county county thing in South Carolina. And I had a student one day ask me, 
how does Buffy, how did the Buffy genres go? I drew uh, female genitalia, and I had literally for twenty minutes, I had the attention of literally my entire study school. Oh God! And so, like, I, I am of the belief that being frank with people doesn't do anything. It doesn't. It's the least sexy talk when you say fallopian tube oh, yes. and ovum. Oh yeah, baby! Oh, show baby. me them fallopian tubes. That's <laughs> no, service. don't. They're inside your body. Please yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the cervix thickens. <laughs> Thicken that cervix, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> in the chief Vic's office Sean is really 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 trying to convince them uh, that Gloria Starks didn't kill herself and that she was in this play and so he the, gets possessed by Gloria Starks who is possessing the cat and he's possessing by the cat and, and that's where he does his little razzle dazzle da- dazzle and stretch dance um, and then he brings out the newspaper as his final uh, coup de gras and Lassiter who has seen this performance is very skeptical but Chief Vic is like no this is something get on it Lassiter but at the psych home office Sean and Gus are trying to figure out a connection and they they got nothing they got fucking nothing mm-hmm. and Sean remembers his dad's advice so he flips it upside down and starts going to the first victim's house. And Gus is like, why are we going to the first victim's house? Dead, where you can't talk to a dead guy for real. And he's like, nope, we're going to go talk to his brother. And we're going to pretend like we're going to rent the apartment. And Wes Holland, Hildenbach opens ah, the door. Who is my actor? He is a 10 American actor. It's Scott Michael Campbell. He was in Supernatural, but I know him from Brokeback Mountain. I did not realize he was in Brokeback Mountain. He was Monroe. He was um, Alma's second husband um, after she divorces her first one. I think played by Heath Ledger. What is amazing to me is he's won six pretty decent awards for directing yeah he's a he's a director first actor second but um i recognized him instantly yeah um his most major role um recently he was in suits for Mm -hmm. quite a while which i've never seen suits i have seen the first three seasons the first season is very good and fun um it stars our girl megan markle princess megan i'm sorry she's not a princess (laughs) she's dutch uh um, I don't I, care. I don't, well, <laughs> I do. I know you. You, with your accent and knowledge of things, care. I, hey, I'm an American. The only not. thing I'm excited for <laughs> is that Prince Philip is going to have a great granddaughter who, or son, great granddaughter, son, uh, who is not white, and I can't wait because he's a racist fuck. 
I can't wait Suck for him. Fuck it, Prince yeah. Philip. So I cannot wait for him to say something stupid and for Meghan Markle to never let him see his great granddaughter or son again. Um, uh, great grandchild. There we go. Better. <laughs> and so, um, cheers. Literally, the only reason I watched the wedding was because I know black shit was going to happen. And it did. It did. I love Meghan Markle because she's mixed like me. She's 2,000 times more beautiful than I am. I, like... She's 2,000 times more beautiful than your average person. I mean, she's a fucking not princess. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she's all... Okay, here's the most fucking galling thing about Suits. The most fucking galling thing about Suits Mm -hmm. is Meghan Markle is, like the on and off again love interest of the main character who is this scrawny little white guy who's not even particularly oh my God. attractive. Hold on. Let me pull the rest of Yep, I've drunk this whole bottle. He like Gabriel Mocked, I think is a beautiful man. Mm. Beautiful man. But I don't even know this guy's name who leads in suits. But mm. Patrick something normal. He's just not a he's not anywhere close to Meghan Markle's level. Anyway, no one is close. Moving on to the show that we're actually walking, watching. So, uh, Sean and Gus, uh, well, Sean gets pretends that they are gay partners after. Oh, Gus I hated partners. It. Okay, so this was really bad. This is a dumb scene, and it happened in Supernatural, and it was between Sean and Dean, who are brothers. Oh, Sam and Dean. Sam and Dean. Who did I? Did I say Sean? He said Sean. Ha yeah. <laughs> It's fine. Sam and Dean. It happened between Sam and Dean. And they went to a hotel room. And they accidentally got booked a queen instead of two, you know, two fools. And the 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 hotel clerk was like, uh, I'm sure that's okay, isn't it? And Dean leans in and is like, yeah, my Sammy loves antiquing. Smack that ass. Like, literally. Okay. What even? Oh, 2006. You were a time. But uh, they do get something out of this little trip in that Sean steals the dead guy's phone bill. And they find a stress line on it. And Sean goes to Juliet to try and get her to, uh, what is that? Get all the phone records mm-hmm. uh, for them. And Lassiter is, of course, like, no, fuck you. And But Juliet's like, we already did that. And yes, they had this stress line in common. But all that means is that they were all stressed and possibly depressed. And, like, that makes it even more likely that they committed suicide. So I don't know what you're doing here. I mean, he has a point. He is. He, but Sean does have a point. And what's, like, and after Sean leaves, uh... Both Lassiter and Juliet look at each other and like, we got to get on this. <laughs> yeah. I liked, I liked in this episode that Lassiter and Juliet were, had like a fun little, like, are we on this? We're already on this. We're on this. Are we on? <laughs> like <laughs> kind of little fun, little relationship going there. So Sean rents a sign and puts it on a janitor's closet in the same office building that the stress line is in. And goes and takes a pineapple down to intro himself to the neighboring um, office space where the 
manager of the stress line is another 10 American actor. I recognized him, but not like how. Well, so his filmography isn't extensive in that like he's not he's one of those guys who does like one episode of this show and one episode of that show and one episode, you know, and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But what was interesting is he's actually been in four episodes of Psych as different characters <laughs> and he's in the TV movie. Nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, that's what so I... So he's not really... I like a, he's, he's a psych-American actor, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but, of course, Sean has to prove himself as a psychic um, because... And they have time to do it because the phone lines are being worked on. Which which must have sucked for anyone who really needed some advice or needed some venting at that point. Yes. But at the same time, you can't do anything about that if you are the the, the stress line meanwhile juliet brings lassiter the volunteer info and they see an old friend on that list Mm. um sean however is putting up a poster a hang in there baby poster on his (laughs) office space and he notices the telephone service schedule but more importantly he makes gus call the helpline so that he can go observe co-worker Rory. Who is my, who is my American actor? He was, this is Michael Adam, wait, Adam, wait. And he was, uh, Rory. And he was in Supernatural for an episode. Of course he was. But he was in World of Warcraft with what? With a man whose name I've forgotten because I'm drunk. Travis Fimmel. Thank you, he Travis Fimmel, God. who spent the last forty-five minutes of the film barefoot because he can't stand wearing shoes. He oh literally my. finds any reason not to wear shoes. This is Travis Fimmel facts with Wine and Murder Night. But through Gus calling. The helpline, we learn that Rory is only there doing community service. 250 hours of community service. That's a fuck ton of community service. Granted, he did assault a guy. It's California. He did, and he did assault a guy for who did not like his poetry. (laughs) Oh, Michael Adamthwaite is a Canadian actor. My bad. Let me change that drop. Rory is very bad at helping somebody not have suicidal thoughts. I know he's like, so you're like drowning, and like, and I was like, oh, it was a, it was an albino herring, and it was so albino too. Like, I really, actually, I'll get into this later, but like, why they suspected Rory, they suspected Rory because of his fucking eyeliner. I mean, wouldn't you? Pete no! Wentz, Pete Wentz and Gerard Way are serial killers. We just haven't found all the victims yet. I actually wrote a fanfic where Pete Wentz was a cult leader. See, now that I can believe. And he, like... like He's pe- charismatic. Yeah, people were committing suicide because oh, of the lyrics. that's sad. Yeah, because of the lyrics in his song. But he would go and, like, bless each one. I was in a weird place. 
<laughs> so anyway, eyeliner. It makes you do weird shit, maybe kill people. <laughs> well, Gus wants to arrest him right away, but Sean is like, no, 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 no. We'll just wait. We're going to wait for that. And then literally 30 seconds later, Juliet and Lassiter show up. And Lassiter holds up a stick of black eyeliner and confronts Lori. Lori? Rory! Confront- I'm not drunk enough, but I'm drunk enough to do that. You're funny. Uh, Confronts Rory about the eyeliner found in Gloria's car, but he's like, you like your music, don't you? And then, like, pulls his headphones out and so everybody can hear what the music is. And it's like- it's like, it's not unusual. Soft it's like soft rock. rock. It's Tom Jones. It's What's up, pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not because they don't have the money for that, but it's something similar. They don't got that Tom Jones cash. <laughs> what would be your, let's play this on the jukebox 20 times and then separate oh, it with something? That's a really good question. I would probably go umbop. Oh, that's great. Mine would be Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye 20 times. <laughs> and then... I like it. And then... So then that's a good date question right there. Yeah, and then uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire for the one. But... Um, oh, what would be my breakup song? It would gotta be something... Oh, She's a Brick House. Me. She's a Brick House. Yeah. Just to, like, make people, like, get lulled into that, okay, we're actually gonna, find, like, listen to something, like weird yeah i think we would go i would have to go like aretha franklin as my breakup song or like smells like teen spirit seven times i almost went there and then I literally almost... and then jeremy for the one <laughs> that would be a rough one gets arrested but sean notices a phone company guy outside on the pole touch his ear but earlier the phone company guy walked past him yeah i saw that mm-hmm. i mean i it, it was like one of the better jobs they've done integrating a bad guy <laughs> because lassiter did not arrest the right man. Of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. So Sean makes Gus go out and climb the telephone pole. My favorite part is that the cat is watching all of this happen. Mm-hmm. And as Sean watches Gus climb the pole, who Gus is like, "Why am I doing this?" And Gus is like, "You're," or Sean's like, "You're a climbing master." Like, uh, and Gus is in the exact wrong stuff. He's in dress shoes. I know, like, he's so great. Like, Sam should have... Sam, sh- fucking hell. Sean should have really We're almost been out of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Well, he sees grease from the pole on, on Gus's his- shoe. Which, that's not actually what... Okay, so, A, the person's wearing it would be wearing something like a construction boot, climbing on it, and it's not, it's not actually grease. It's more like a... It's more like a bonding agent, so you don't fall off the fucking pole. So it was kind of weird. So it's not yeah. really grease. It's just that Sean is not a laborer, so you wouldn't know that. Very fair. Hashtag communism. 
<laughs> and he flashes back to the keys he saw uh, hanging in Wes's apartment and has his aha moment. And the guy that says somebody from the phone department called it in. Well, the telephone mm-hmm. company called him in. But they find a red phone at the top of the phone pole, and they figure out that that's how this person has been listening to all of the phone calls going into the stress line. And Sean makes Gus throw it down, and they dial the last number. And who should have called but Buzz McNabb? Of course. Because he's stressed about his wedding. And so he's not stressed about the wedding. He's stressed about a wedding night because he's afraid he can't perform. Right. So Sean calls a chief and they race over to McNabb's place, which this is the first time I ever realized that McNabb is spelled with one B. I didn't notice. It's a weird way to spell McNabb, right? Like that's not. I don't know. Like Possibly. uh, But they get to his apartment and the door is unlocked. And they walk in and confront Wes as he's pointing a gun at Buzz and getting ready to fake a hanging. Or I guess force a hanging? Force a hanging, yeah. And right after he gets there, the Juliet and Lassiter show up and there's guns everywhere. And Sean keeps talking about how Wes was so angry about his brother committing suicide that he wanted to punish the other people he considered mentally weak. Which is a distinct sign of PTSD. And in fact, my mother told me a story today. Beta Meinhof. My mother told <laughs> me a story today. She has uh, two or three doors down. There's a man who is a vet and is an Af- Afghanistan uh, war veteran. And who's suffering from PTSD. Who threatened to kill a man who likes to drive on his golf cart through town. Through our little, through my mother's little neighborhood. With his Mm -hmm. dog on the back. And just drives on his golf cart. He doesn't bother anybody. He's just, you know, with his noise-canceling headphones and a dog on the back of the golf cart. Having the time of his life. But apparently this vet like, lost his mind and, like, put up this big sign. And he goes, if you drive through the neighborhood one more time with your golf cart, I'm going to shoot you. I'm an Afghan war vet, and I'm an Afghan war vet, and I have PTSD. So, once again, this man watched his brother jump off a balcony. He is suffering from PTSD. And PTSD, one of the main things is that you feel you feel violent behavior more often than not or you feel a sense of injustice and you want to correct the injustice more often than just you know some average person mm-hmm. yeah and i think again this kind of almost wraps up the idea that this is all preventable <laughs> This is, this is so preventable. And the point is, no one pointed that out. And that's no why, one. and that's why I think the writer is not writing a, like a, like a, like a searing look at the lack of, med- uh, at the, at the lack of mental health care in the United States. He's literally just writing about what he sees. And it's up to the viewer to be like, that's fucked up. It was fucked up. And it's also up to the viewer to have had someone 
in their life who suffered from PTSD and to recognize the symptoms because a normal American is separated from war. One percent of the population are soldiers. We don't like we have a huge military, but they're mm-hmm. concentrated. And so what's weird is that we don't feel the effects. Well, and I think the other thing is that they didn't particularly write Wes very well. as they didn't write him very well. PT- we only we only saw met him like for real once. Mm-hmm. And that was when he was trying to sell the apartment. And as somebody who knows people who have grieved, it felt like he was grieving. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't, they didn't write in any but, particular signs of PTSD. Like, that part only came in as... Depending on how you're grieving, depending on what you're grieving, if you're grieving someone who's naturally died, like of a long illness or something that's you know, not preventable, or something that's not of their own doing, that you can't, you don't usually suffer PTSD from it. You can. Right, right, but no, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying... He hid it. He hid it because he also had psychopathic tendencies. Right, well, and, and I'm saying, though, like, from a viewer's point of view, like, there weren't signs of PTSD that we were supposed to pick up on. Like... They did, okay. I think, a good job of connecting the dots of him to the telephone. Mm-hmm. But until Sean says we actually, your your brother actually did commit suicide, mm-hmm. like we were led to believe as viewers that that was another murder. We were, but and so we would never have been given the idea that it was PTSD. So it was one of those things where it was grief. Yeah, when you're grieving, you tend to hesitate talking about why you're grieving. But if you have PTSD, you hesitate because it's too much. Like, if you told somebody, like, I watched 20 Afghani children die. Mm -hmm. Somebody's not going to want to hear that. (laughs) That's like, that's a bit much. But like, or if you say, I was pushed down the stairs by my employee, by my employer. Somebody's not going to want to hear that. Mm-hmm. You don't like somebody with PTSD has like this twofold thing. They want to share their grief, but they also don't want to burden you. They're like, this is serious. Um, yeah. But uh, so once again, this writer wrote about the condition, the American condition. He didn't do anything about it. And that's where satire meets just good writing. This is a very good, well written episode. But it's not critical. Right. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, to wrap the thing, wrap up the episode, uh, the boy cat, who they had left in the car, sneaks into the through the open door and presumably recognizing Wes as its owner's killer, uh, jumps on him and attacks him, effectively disarming him so that he can be arrested. I definitely missed that. I looked away for like two seconds to like write <laughs> something down and I missed it. Sean goes ahead and gives McNabb the cat as a wedding present. <laughs> and the button on the episode is Sean and Gus are eating the same cereal that Sean ate when he was six. Uh, Gus talks about like how he was going to change his attitude that like, you know, Rory was right about a couple things. Pharmaceutical sales isn't particularly sexy, but maybe it can be. 
And Gus pours out the last Hashtag, it's fucking not. Fuck pharmaceutical sales. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I hate Gus's real job as a comic. It's not sexy. Of course I would hate Gus's real job. Yes. And, like, I mean, I guess also kind of hates his real job, too. Yeah. <laughs> but Gus pours out the last bowl of cereal, and there's no ring in it. Oh, no! And... What do you know? Sean turned the box upside down and got the prize weeks ago. Or actually probably like a day ago, given how much cereal they're eating. I don't know. <laughs> Boys and cereal. Did you figure it out? Yes. And he, the scene when the telephone guy walks past him with his head down, classic, classic. Yeah, I I didn't figure out that the telephone guy was Wes, but when Sh- when Sean figured out that um, or Sean saw the telephone schedule, I was like, oh, well, that's two incidences of telephone. Clearly, it's the telephone guy. Yeah, no, no, definitely no. I figured it out because he had that blonde curly hair underneath the hard hat. Oh, see, his hair looked super, like, I thought it was a different person. Like, he lo- the hair looked super different to me. I don't know. It didn't, I didn't. It wasn't that it might have been him. It was that it was like, this guy's not showing his face on purpose. So he knows Sean would have recognized him if he showed him his face. So that's sort of what I said. Okay, I didn't put that together. I didn't put together that the he was, I figured the not showing a, the face was a, like, a camera directorial choice in that they didn't want to give it away uh, and not a, a the character is deliberately hiding his face oh no no it was he was deliberately hiding that's that's what i was it was like oh shit this guy will recognize me and I put my head down. <laughs> so did you like this episode um it was prom okay so let me do my three tears no because it didn't go very deep yes because I had a lot that I could dissect Mm -hmm. no because what I was dissecting was problematic so two out of three Eh. it was an eh episode I, I wish I had liked it more I actually liked it because I was like, this is going to be a good podcast episode. <laughs> because I could dissect it like I am. Because it was good for my brain. Because, right. I, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I I actually really liked this episode. I thought this was absolutely the best. I would say the best psych of the episode we have seen. Of for all sure. the five episodes, yes. I like this more than yeah. any of the other it was the best written episode. It had, I thought, the most interesting mystery. Mm. I thought... It um, did, because one of the things is a murderer who set things up to look like suicide is very interesting because he understands the reasons why. He, but another thing is he left notes at pretty much every scene, mm-hmm. which is something knowing suicides is something that if you're suicidal you don't do suicides are very spur of the moment and it comes from like 
months or years of pain and you just suddenly, you get the opportunity to kill yourself and you're like, here's the moment, I'm going to die. That would have been a better clue for Sean than some of the stuff, the circumstantial stuff that he (laughs) put together. That's actually statistics. Yeah. But I thought, I just from a writing perspective, I thought Gus was better. I thought Sean was still charming in this episode and not as um, annoying, like annoying or thoughtless. Like even his little prank at the end, I didn't, like I thought was funny and not yeah. like, mean. Nothing like giving, giving the cat to McNabb. Pets actually help you. Pets actually help depress people. Mm-hmm. There were things in this episode that surprised me about Sean and showed a little bit of growth. Yeah. So I thought overall it had the things I wanted from a psych episode. Like, I mean, as you, I, as, I mean, we both agree, like psych is very surface level shit, right? But like, what's weird is we've gone from shows written by women, directed by mm-hmm. women, produced by women, to shows written by men. So we've gone from an English, so I'm not saying that English are feminist, but I'm saying the English are older and so just have more women to do things. I'm like, okay, well. Well, that and I think also Christy herself being a woman, like it, I feel like in the very, very traditional cozy space, which is, Psych is obviously a cozy mystery, but I think also it's not a traditional cozy mystery in that it is American, right? Like, it's it's a very American take on a cozy mystery. So this is a weird cozy because it's, for me, it's uncomfortable because I've never identified with being American. I was uncomfortable watching this because it was so American. It's very American. American television shows make me very uncomfortable because I don't agree with any of the Americanness, I don't agree with what's going on. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like Sean because he is using the capitalist system to his advantage. Um, I like Gus because he's black, but I also like. <laughs> I also like Gus because he's careful. He's thoughtful. When I'm watching television, I try to find people I will connect to, and mm-hmm. with the British murder mysteries we've watched. It's a connection to people because I know their culture. Mm-hmm. I, it was so hard to connect with people in the in psych. I think the person I connect the most with in this entire series that we've... I mean, I've seen a lot more psych than just the five episodes. Like, I've watched, I think, through the first five full seasons. Like, I've seen a lot of psych. The person I think I still most connect with throughout every single bit of psych is Police Chief Vic who is so exasperated all the time. (laughs) Well, I don't even think I have to ask, but Sabrina, did you like your wine? This is a surprising Italian wine. Generally don't like Italian wine. (laughs) But I've drunk the entire bottle. Out of nine, how would you give your wine? A good eight and a half. Ooh, big score. So let me tell you about this wine. When I first tasted it, I tasted hints of peach. Um, it was... I love sparkling fucking anything. Hell yeah. I'd drink so much more sparkling wine if I on this podcast if I wasn't the designated red wine person. I fucking love me some bubbles. So, um, this was surprisingly good. It wasn't too sweet, and it wasn't too sharp, and it was just good like 
if you're looking to for like to celebrate something that's not huge, this is actually really good. It's fun. It's not serious. Um, it's not pretentious, which I like. It's a very good wine, and I'm surprised. Yay! So eight point five for an Italian wine, and uh, good job, Italy. How was your wine? I am also gonna go with a big score. Um, this is very good. Like I said, this was an original $17 bottle. I went a little bit high on my price range, topping out at $13 after tax because it was on sale. Um, <laughs> but this is absolutely like a bottle I would give as a gift. Like it's oh, very complex and it's got a great balance of flavor. It wasn't like right out of the bottle. I didn't even have to let it aerate. I enjoyed it. Like some of the other wines I've had have been gross like so i didn't get carol's text message and i was like holy shit we gotta get started i opened my wine and like pulled it immediately i didn't even think about it yeah so it was like that it it was it was i think uh, well that's fun uh since we're finishing up psych uh we finish it up with good wine (laughs) uh yeah no this is a great this is a great sunday sunday pinot noir uh i'm gonna go big score uh i think i'm gonna give it a 9.5 out of 10 good job yeah, so um, we're celebrating. I'm celebrating the fucking end of the psych <laughs> because one episode does not a a a. I like I said, I'm uncomfortable with it, and so overall, I'm celebrating the end of it. <laughs> I do. I think. I think as a rule, psych is probably going to be one of the weakest shows that we watch on this podcast i feel like because but it gets and i think if we watched any more psych i'd want to start in a later season because the later seasons are stronger well you can always follow us on our twitters i'm at classlicity and i'm at sdm right and you can also follow our official twitter which if you didn't you missed out because the reason you should follow our official twitter is because our listeners vote on what we watch. And do you know what we're watching next, Sabrina? Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries! I'm quite excited. Is- I, I, I'm so not American. I'm very drunk. We did, uh, we put together two of our favorites and I claimed Miss Fisher's before Sabrina could because it Miss Fisher's is such a personal, personal, deep, life-changing love for me i can't wait um so i'm very very i am both excited and super nervous to watch it with a critical lens (laughs) don't worry i'm super critical about australia (laughs) (laughs) yes but uh you should absolutely again uh we'll watch five episodes of miss fishers and then we'll put up another poll uh, which you can watch and so you should follow us at wine murder night following god here's the thing death in paradise good show but Folly got zero votes. Guys! It's because no one wants to watch subtitles. Watch we love Follett. subtitles. <laughs> watch Follett. Then you'll vote for it. Um, but you should also subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast app of choice is. Mine has to Spotify. Uh, Overcast. That's what I use. I subscribe to our show. Because um, I produce and edit it. 
I'm on it. I mean, I'm on it, so I, I kind of have to subscribe, right? Like, that's <laughs> but you should also rate and review, and we'll give you a nice little toast on the show. We have such... I love... We have some of the best listeners. We have some really great, cute. great listeners. Also, happy birthday so to James Roday, who turned some age two days ago. Fuck. <laughs> yeah! Happy birthday, Sean. Happy birthday, James Roday. I know you're not nearly as annoying as Sean in person. Oh, I, I don't know personally, but like, I, mean, I, I, there's no one in the world who's as annoying as Sean. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we would like to say what, Sabrina? Spasiba. Spasiba to Anton Koryakov, who wrote and performed Simple Life, our theme song off the album Restart or Restart, used with a Creative Commons Attribution License. I don't say that all the time, but it is very much the case. (laughs) Till next time.